0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Life in the Dark, a podcast dedicated
1: to the golden age of radio and Hollywood's classic era. This podcast is part of the Nomad in the Middle Network. More information can be found at nomadinthemiddle.com.
2: And now, E.R. Squibb and Sons, manufacturing chemist to the medical profession since 1858, bring you one of Hollywood's best-known stars, Joseph Cotton. Tonight you will hear Mr. Cotton in the exciting drama, Foreign Correspondent, which was nominated for four different Oscars. Yes, for Best Photography, Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Production of the Year. Foreign Correspondent was nominated for the 1940 Academy Award.
1: Come right in, Miss Green. Put on your glasses, sit down, and take an epic. No, Miss Green, this is not to be an editorial for the Sunday edition. This is to be some notes on my lurid past. You see, before I came here to Springfield and bought this paper and became a substantial citizen, I was a reporter, Miss Green. Johnny Jones, foreign correspondent. That was long before there was even a phony war. I was sent to Europe to meet a man called Van Meer, known as the Strong Man of Holland. He had been one of the signers of a secret treaty between Holland and the Allied Powers. I was to get Van Meer to talk and to tell me what was in that treaty. My wife's maiden name is Carol Fisher. Her father was head of the Universal Peace Party. I met Carol over there and fell for her like a ton. When she went down to Amsterdam with her father, I went too. There was a conference there and I intended to kill two birds with one stone, for Van Meer was to be the principal speaker. I had met old Van Meer in Paris, so I didn't have much trouble nailing him when he got out of a cab in front of the conference building and started up the steps. He didn't seem very happy to see me. Why, Mr. Van Meer, how are you? We we somehow seem to lose each other, sir. Don't you remember me? I'm the American reporter from New York. Seemed anxious to get away from me. Seemed not to remember me. Just then a photographer jumped out in front of him. Hold it. Picture. (laughs) The guy pointed his camera at this Van Meer, and Van Meer's eyes got very big. Then I saw the gun in the photographer's hand. It went off then. I guess I stood there like a goon just watching Van Meer fall. He was dead when he stopped rolling down the steps. This phony photographer dropped his camera and ran into the crowd. I ran after him. He got into a car and roared away. I looked for a car, and just then my sweet Carl comes riding up in the Bentley with one of those big blond Englishmen at the wheel. I jumped into the car, pushed Carl over, and yelled at the handsome brute. Follow that car, quick, hurry!
3: Might as well humor him. Right, huh? What's the trouble?
1: Chap shot someone. Benmire assassinated. Dead? Looks like it. Hmm. Bad show. Couldn't be worse from his point of view. There he goes around the corner. Don't lose sight of him.
4: Oh, I thought that was him.
1: No, there he is. No, oh, no, we've lost him. Come on, faster, faster! Try and get around this car. That's good. There
4: he goes. He's had the luck of the devil. We might get him here. Blow
1: your horn! Blow your horn!
4: I say, old girl, mind shoving your knees out of the way. Makes driving difficult. Ah, oh, that's better.
3: Not at all. Anything I can do? Glad to help.
1: Guess we're catching up on him.
4: Shooting at us, by Harry! Shattered the safety glass. Wonder whose make. Better hop into the back, old girl.
1: Good chauffeur we've got, Miss Fisher.
3: Daddy. You two know each other? Oh, I forgot. This is Scott Foliath, newspaper man, same as you, Johnny. Correspondent of London Post. Mr. Jones, Mr. Foliath. How'd
1: you do? Here we are, old chap,
4: out in the country and very desolate, if you ask me. Keep on
1: his tail, he's around that curve, behind the windmill. Have him then, old
4: boy. Here we go. I say, the chap in his car disappeared, vanished. He couldn't
1: have. He has. Look at that. The sails on that windmill? Well, quite common over here in Holland, old boy. I could have sworn those sails were going against the wind just now.
4: Why don't you lie down on the wet grass, old boy, and cool
1: off? I'll cool off at the proper time, but first, would you do me a favor and go back and get the police?
4: Police? What for? We shan't need the
1: police. I've decided not to prosecute. You're going to bring the police back here because our man is in there. In where? In that windmill. What
3: makes you think so? And
1: while I'm explaining, a lot of things can happen. Will you please take my word for it and get the police? I'd go myself if I spoke the language. Well, what will you do? I'll stick around here and do some snooping. I hate to seem executive, but this is serious.
4: Right you are, old boy. You shall have the Police. Regiment
1: office. There I was on a lonely flat plane with nothing but a windmill for company. Suddenly the mill stopped. And the sails reversed themselves against the wind. At the same time, I heard the drone of a plane, then I knew. The reverse sails were a signal. The plane came into land. I crept up to the mill. There was a shed there and in it, the assassin's car. I went back and into the mill, then I heard muffled voices. I crept around some more and found a wooden staircase. I went up. There was a door with a key in it. I heard someone coming after me. I pushed backwards into the room, closed the door. I was in the transmission room, the room with the wooden gears connected with the big sail outside. I stood there listening. Suddenly, I almost jumped out of my skin. A weak voice spoke.
5: I mean, mister...
1: I whirled around and there, tied to a ring in the floor, was Van Meer, alive.
5: I'm afraid you see me at a great disadvantage. I have just been given a drug of some sort. It affects the brain. They gave it to me when they moved me from... It's beginning now. I'm sorry. Oh, but I, I saw you shot just now outside the conference hall. I saw it. The man you saw shot was not I... He was a substitute who looked like me. But why? But they want the world to think that I have been assassinated to conceal the fact that I am in their hands. Their hands? Or well, who are they? I cannot explain. I am not certain. All that I can tell you is that they are going to take me somewhere by plane.
1: That meal's head dropped. I jumped for the crossbeam above me, pulled myself up, and lay there near the big gear. The door opened, four men came in, picked up Van Meer, and took him away. When they had gone, when the plane had died away, I got out of there fast. I came back with the cops, and they thought I was nuts. There was no assassin's car, no assassin, no plane, and no Van Meer. <laughs> I, I laughed it off and went over to London with a big newsbeat in my pocket. I wanted to see Carol's father and find out if he could help me. On a night I made love to Carol.
3: Penny for your thoughts, Johnny.
1: I was thinking of those guys who came into the mill and took old Van Meer away. They sounded like Nazis to me.
3: imagination.
1: Maybe, darling, maybe not. I got one good look at the leader's face and... Well, it wasn't from the county cork.
3: Hard being happy with the world falling apart. (laughs) The
1: world isn't falling apart. Just governments
3: the same thing.
1: Uh Well, only governments don't sit in the moonlight wearing shawls and looking beautiful.
3: They're certain to march into Poland.
1: Tomorrow, but not tonight. Look, I'm in love with you, no matter who marches, where.
3: When you think of what may happen, love doesn't seem so important.
1: I don't know, it survived a lot of wars. Now, will you forget the fate of Europe for a minute? I'm in love with you and want to marry you.
3: I wonder what father would say.
1: About what, the fate of Europe?
3: No, about our marriage. You did ask me, didn't you? I've been
1: pleading for hours.
3: I think he will be pleased. I'm sure he will.
1: Everybody will be pleased. England, America, and me too. We had a fish's house in London, and I was feeling just like a guy whose daughter is about to tell her father that you want to do that serious thing. The butler opened the door and there was my future father-in-law having breakfast with a man whose face was the face that led the guttural voices up to take Van Meer away from the mill.
6: Carol, my dear, what a pleasant surprise. And you didn't even wire me.
3: Father, I hope you don't mind us barging in like this. Johnny brought me over on a boat. Mr. Krug, how nice to see you again. But, of course, you haven't met Mr. Jones. Mr. Uh,
6: Mr. Krug is with an embassy here. I think I shall have to be getting along, Mr. Fisher... Shall we settle on the wording for the peace petition now or leave it till later? Oh, we might as well clear it up now. Uh, you'll excuse us. Uh, go right ahead, Mr. Krug, into my study.
3: Father, could we have just a moment? Terry Gilbert.
6: Why, uh, certainly.
3: Uh, I won't be long. Oh,
1: Mr. Bencher, get the police quick. Van Meer isn't dead. Van Meer isn't? Quite, quite. That's fantastic. They kidnapped him, then shot his double. I saw Van Meer afterward in a mill in Holland. That man, that Krug, was with him.
3: Krug? That's ridiculous, Johnny. We've known him. I
1: know, dear, but Mr. Jones says... I tell you, I spoke to Van Meer. He told me they were
6: taking him somewhere by plane. They must have brought him here to England. I've always felt a little uneasy about Krug. Mr.
3: Bishop.
6: I'll keep him there. They're coming, Mr. Krug. Be
3: careful, Father.
6: Uh, Mr. Jones has just suggested that I... Turn you over to the police, Mr. Cruz. Mr. Jones seems to be something of a troublemaker. I thought you said he'd been taken care of by our agents in Amsterdam. I thought so too, but perhaps Miss Fisher being with him caused complications. It would have been ideal if she had been in our confidence. So deuced inconvenient he has come here. The dash and all is in my home. You must be stopped. Yes, but I always find the sordid details somewhat distasteful. As usual, I shall endeavor to relieve you of them. You remember Rowley? Rowley? Ah, oh, yes, the, the little man who used to work in your father's stables in Austria. I shall get rolling. Hire him as a private detective, too. Guard, Mr. Jones. Guard him? Very delicate of you, crew. Very. <laughs>
2: In just a moment, you will hear the second part of Academy Awards. Delightful Squibb Dental Cream is a member of the great family of Squib products that every member of your family will enjoy using every day. Youngsters and grown-ups alike find it so refreshing. Let it linger on your tongue for just an instant, and note that spicy tang of mint. Fragrant, frosty, you can taste the refreshing difference when you use Squibb Dental Cream. Let its pleasantly brisk action wake up your whole mouth. Leave it tingling, alive. You can feel the refreshing difference when you use squib dental cream. And soon you'll see a refreshing difference in your smile. For the polishing agent in this quality dentifrice is one of the safest, softest, yet most effective known to dental science. So begin tomorrow to brush your teeth with squib dental cream. Then you'll enjoy all three ways a fine dentifrice can serve you. You'll taste, feel, and see the refreshing difference. You Squib Devil Green. Before we bring you part two of Foreign Correspondent, we wish to thank United Artists for making this picture available. Foreign Correspondent is based on an original story written by Vincent Sheehan. And now, The House of Squibb presents part two of Academy Awards, starring Joseph Cotton in Foreign Correspondence.
1: I should have known that about Fisher, but I didn't. I took his word for it that I should wait and get a bigger story after we'd found Van Carol naturally sided with her father. She was afraid to let me go out alone, and Fisher put on his boogeyman suit and scared me, too. He sold me on the idea I needed a bodyguard, and that's how I got Roly. I didn't get wise to him, even when he pushed me in front of a truck. Hey, you!
7: Somebody pushed you, sir. It was me, sir. If I tried to pull you back, you'd been caught. It was push or nothing.
1: Oh, smart work, Mr. Rowley. Uh, Thanks very much. After all, sir, that's what I'm here for. Isn't it? I'm late for a date at the American Club. Here, let's take this cab. American Club driver.
7: I'm not certain, sir, but I have an idea that two men have just got into another cab to follow us.
1: I can't see any other cab.
7: I'm not certain, sir, but I'm sure I saw them. We might give them the slip if we go the long way around. Better stop here, sir, and we'll change cabs.
1: Okay, stop here, driver.
7: Now, sir, no use waiting for them to catch up. Our job is to give them the slip. What? what? Let's get another cab, then. Wait a minute, sir. We're in front of the cathedral. Well, let's go in there. Uh, do you mind not going in, sir? I saw by the notice that it's a requiem mass. Oh. I hate to be so fussy, sir. Oh, I say, look at the sign, sir. The lift takes you up to the tower to see the magnificent view and then there's sixpence.
1: Oh, let's go up and look at the view then. Come on.
8: Say, this
1: is pretty dangerous, this low railing. Something dropped, too. Oh.
7: You'd better be careful, sir. I was a bit scared when you leaned over just now. I was once with a chap on a bridge in Switzerland. He had a very nasty fall. Killed him stone dead. Always made me a bit nervous since. <laughs> well, let's let's go down.
1: I, I got a lunch date.
7: Um, don't go down yet, sir. Oh, just a moment, sir. I believe that's the guards from Buckingham Palace approaching, sir. A rare and unusual sight. You're in a bit of luck, sir.
1: Where? I can't see them
7: Strike down, sir uh, You'll have to lean over a bit, sir oh. uh, See them, sir? Oh, yes, I see them now Quite a sight, sir, eh? Quite a sight, sir Here you go to join them, sir
1: I don't know what made me turn aside suddenly One of those hunches But just as I did Rowley with his hands stretched out to push me went hurtling by and over the rail and down to a horrible death before the crowd below. The thing that sent chills up my spine was that I knew then that Carol's father had tried to have me murdered. In my state of mind, it was like a double-skite seeing old boy Folliot again.
4: Hello, old boy. Congratulations on your little set-to with Rowley.
1: How'd you know about Roly?
4: Roly and Fisher, old boy, and the fellow with the high-necked sweater, matter of fact, followed them here to London.
1: I see, then... You believe me now about Van Meer.
4: Oh, of course. I'd suggest we work along from here together, old boy. First thing I'd suggest after that would be that you kidnap Fisher's daughter. What? Well, all right, old boy, no offense. But if you give me a chance to bear down on Fisher, he dotes on her, you know. Maybe he'd talk and tell us where Van Meer is.
1: Hey, who are you, anyway? I mean, what are you?
4: British subject, old boy, patriot and all that. My country's on the verge of war.
1: I see. Okay, pal, I'll kidnap Carol. Uh, That is, I'll go through the motions. Where'll I take her?
4: Uh, Take her to Cambridge. I'll get your digs at the College Arms.
1: Oh, wait. Now, what happens after you get Fisher talking? I'll phone you, old boy, and let you in on the kill. It's a deal.
3: Johnny, what's the matter with you?
1: Oh, nothing. I'm just relaxing here in the College Arms.
3: you better be nicer. I'll send you back to your own room without supper.
1: Okay. Look, Carol, we got to talk. There's something hanging over our heads, and before it falls, I, I want you to know that no matter what happens, I...
3: Charlie, what's wrong with you?
1: What are you talking about? Wait. Hello?
4: Oh, hello, old boy. Uh, this is me. Oh, yes,
1: yes. What happened?
4: Fisher's gone. Our people found out where he went. Take this down. 242 Charlotte Street, 242 Tottenham Court Road, Road.
1: Charlotte Street, Tottenham Court uh, Road. I think you'd better
4: get there as fast as possible. I
3: think that's where they have Van Mir, right?
1: Check. What is it? Carol. I've got to go back to London fast. I want you to stay here until I come for you.
3: Oh, no, you don't. I sense trouble, and I'm not letting you out of my sight.
1: I'm not going to try and talk you out of it, but I remember this. No matter what happens, I love you, darling, with all my heart. <laughs>
6: There is Van Meer. Oh,
5: oh, there he is. Those lights
6: in his face, can't you
5: cut them down? Yes, cut them. Thank you. Thank you very much. You are like my friend, Mr. Fisher. I am so sorry. It is so dark. I cannot tell. But you are like my friend.
6: I am Fisher, Mr. Van Meer.
5: I am your friend. I am so glad. How did you get here? Am I going away now? Thank you, Mr. Fisher, thank you. Are the police here? They mustn't get away. You mustn't let these people go.
4: Pardon me, gentlemen. I represent the Jupiter Life Assurance Company. Can I interest you in a small policy? Did you have to bring him up
6: here? I didn't know what to do. He tried to get away. You mustn't
4: blame him, Crog. He's nervous, and he had a pistol in my back. I came easy. But uh, go right ahead, gentlemen. Don't mind me. I'll sit right down here.
6: What is that? Is it the police? Tell me where I am. You're in London, Mr. Van Meer. These people think I'm working with them. So you and I must play a little game.
5: A little game?
6: Yes. Uh, they want you to tell me something. Uh, just one little clause in the treaty. Clause 27. Clause 27. Come, Mr. Van Meer. But
5: it's the secret clause. I know. Close, 27. But they mustn't know it. It would help them if they make war. War. You don't want any help, do you?
4: Don't tell him anything, Mr. Vanmere. He's not your friend.
5: Who was that? You are not my friend. Oh, I see, I see. You cried peace. Peace, and there was no peace. You were a liar, Fisher. A cruel, cruel liar. I will never talk.
6: Do what you want with me. Well, it's useless. Let her try your methods, Krug.
9: Ah, yeah, bring him over here. No, no, no.
5: Oh, no. no. No more of that. I, I talk. I talk. Then talk. Oh, in the event of invasion by an enemy power, the Majesty's government solemnly pledges that...
4: Steady, Van Mier,
1: steady! Get him! That's a number, but it's a restaurant. And Doc. Folliot wouldn't kid me. This must be the place. I say, sir, are
7: you Mr. Jones? Yes, what? Mr. Folliot said we were to expect you, sir. We shall get a signal from Mr. Folliot any moment now, sir. Say, what is this? Who are you, and who is. Sorry, sir, but Mr. Folliot will explain. That is, if Mr. Folliot is still alive. There it is, sir. The signal. Stay here, Carl.
3: No. My father is in there, too. I heard what Scott Folliot said to you on the phone. I'm coming. Come on, sir. We're
1: closing in. Carol, you're not coming. Darling, I love you, but I've got to do this.
3: Right into my arms. I
1: had to do it. Had to sock a holder. I'm going in.
6: Trapped? Yes, oh boy, you are. To put it in so many words. No, I've got to get out of here. Too late, the place is surrounded. This man must die before they get here. What about us? You will pay the price your country asks. The work is not finished. I must go on. Very well. Sorry, Folliot, this is war. Think nothing
4: of it, oh boy. Go ahead and shoot. I'd feel silly if I were you, Crooke, taking the rap, holding the sack, as it were, for Fisher. He wants to sell out, so as his daughter won't find out he's been a
6: Nazi spy. So the daughter, eh? Do as you're told. That's an order, crew. I should be, die, and let you get away because your daughter doesn't know about you. I have a daughter, too, in the homeland. Shoot, you fool. Quickly. Yeah, I shoot.
1: Then where you are, all of you. Drop those guns. Pull you, Joe. Right. <laughs> Hello, old boy.
4: Mighty happy to see you. Fisher. Been shot. Yes, the boy. I talked Krug into it. He's dead. Yes. Take those people away. Van Meer, Van Meer. He's just barely alive, but he didn't give us away on that treaty. Was Fisher really... Yes, he was in charge of those Nazis. Carol? Oh, innocent old boy, doesn't know a thing. What am I going to tell her? Fisher was a Nazi, though only half German. She's all English, old boy. You could tell her... Tell her father came here to talk to Van Meer and was trapped. That's true? Well, yes, old boy. Only it was we who trapped them. And who are we? British intelligence, old boy. (laughs) I'd <laughs> better get a cable, uh, get to a cable office. You have a whale of a story for your paper.
1: Yeah, and a whale of a story to tell Carol, too, old boy. So, darling, your, your father must have found out that they were keeping Van Mere a prisoner there and torturing and trying to get him to tell what was in the secret treaty. Father went there and Krug killed him before we could break down the door.
3: Goodbye, Johnny. I love you. I shall always love you. Now, goodbye. What
1: What are you talking about? Goodbye.
3: I know you love me, too. That's why you're lying to me. My father was a Nazi agent and he was shot by Krug, his subordinate.
1: you didn't know your father was.
3: No, I didn't. Not until he hired that man to try to kill you. Then I began to suspect. When I heard Furlier call you at Cambridge, I knew.
1: That's why you came with me.
3: Yes. I was going to try and talk you out of going in there. I was going to try and make you go back to America before. before you knew.
1: I am going back to America.
3: Oh. Oh, yes, Carl.
1: I'm going back with my wife. Johnny. Carol. Carol, my darling. You couldn't possibly help what your father was or did. Now, come on. I've got the tickets and we will start all over again back in America.
3: No, Johnny, no. Killing is just beginning. England is at war tonight. And I'm going to stay and help make up to her some of the things my father did against her. After the war if we're still alive, my
0: darling.
3: Come back to England. I've asked me again to be your
1: wife. I see. I, I guess I see. All right, darling. I'll be getting along on my boat.
3: Until tomorrow, Charlie. Whenever that will be.
1: Yes, darling. Until... whenever that'll be.
2: ...mankind toward greater health and happiness. Thousands dedicate themselves to the service of others... ...through scientific research in the field of medicine. Playing a vital role in this vast scientific effort... ...the House of Squibb maintains at New Brunswick, New Jersey... ...a great research institute. Separate and distinct from the business activities of Squibb... ...the Squibb Institute for Medical Research... ...carries on investigations in the same spirit... ...and in the same manner as the laboratories of universities foundations, and endowments all over the world. The Squibb Institute is evidence of unceasing faith in the progress which can be generated through untrammeled scientific research. Your doctor knows how much the Squibb Institute has aided in the development of many of the newest weapons in the victories over disease and pain. He knows, too, that the Squibb products he uses reflect the same high principles, the same devotion to the search for perfection that is behind the Squibb Institute for Medical Research. And you may use, with the same confidence, the many everyday health necessities Squib makes for your medicine cabinet. To make sure you're getting Squib quality, ask for it by name. Ask for Squib, a name you can trust. Next Wednesday, another great picture. The House of Squibb will present Academy Awards starring Olivia de Havilland and Jean-Pierre Omar in Hold Back the Dawn. Today's performance of Foreign Correspondent was written for radio by Frank Wilson with an original musical score composed and conducted by Lee Stevens. Our producer-director is Dee Engelbach. We wish to thank Mr. Joseph Cotton for his splendid performance tonight. Joel McRae, who was previously announced, was unable to be with us because of last-minute changes in his motion picture production schedule. Mr. Cotton appeared through the courtesy of David O. Selznick and may soon be seen in Mr. Selznick's Technicolor production, Duel in the Sun. This is Hugh Brundage, bidding you goodnight until next Wednesday at the same time when you're invited to listen again to Academy Awards. Presented by the House of Squibb, a name you can trust. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
8: This is Orson Welles speaking from London. the grim stone structure in the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of souvenirs. A warehouse where everyday objects, a hammer, a suitcase, a shirt button, all are touched by murder. You take this canvas bag.
10: This canvas bag might give us a lead, sir. Uh, What's that writing on it, Sergeant? It's the name of a local merchant, J. Gregory, Northampton.
8: Well, today, that canvas bag can be seen in the Black Museum. Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Yes, here lies death. All the ways and means of death. Guns, of course, abound in plenty, but there are other simpler objects, things that were never meant for murder. Now, this gold trophy. A famous sportsman climaxed a great career by winning this. Later, it was an exhibit in his trial. It was proved he had used it to batter a man to death. Here's a knitting needle perhaps used to knit for absent friends for children not yet born. And it was put to more lethal use, to end a life. Ah, here we are. Here's the canvas bag. It was once a bag used to hold provisions in a Northampton grocery store. Later on, it became more famous, but we anticipate. Let's begin the story not with a canvas bag, but with a certain young woman who at her home in Birmingham was packing her suitcases...
11: Another dress, Mary, oh, thanks, Mother, and your slippers, mm-hmm well i I think that must be all. Let's just have another look round. you don't want to forget anything, no, that's right. oh, here you are, just as well I looked, some stockings, oh well i- I think that's all. Yes, I'll just lock my suitcase. Mary? What, Mother? Are you sure you'll be all right? Oh, no, of course. Oh, well, it seems such a strange arrangement, you going all the way to London alone. But what's strange about it? Tom's working in London, saving for our passages to Canada. He can't come to fetch but me. You travel all that way alone. Oh, Mary, let me come with you. No, Mother. I'm not a child. You're an almost married woman, but that doesn't mean your mother still can't worry about oh, you. Mother, really? <laughs> Look, I'll be perfectly all right. Tom and I are are getting married when I reach London. A month later, we'll be on our way to Canada. And we'll lose you. It's so sad. You'll write as soon as you reach London, won't you, darling? Yes, of course I will. And don't worry, please. I'll
3: be all right.
8: A girl leaving home to get married, an anxious mother. Nothing very new about that. Except that the girl never went to London. The following day her train arrived in northampton where she was tenderly greeted by a charming man some years older than herself
9: hello hello here i am mary oh. my dear Mary.
11: oh darling i've been waiting here for, for a moment i thought
9: you thought <laughs> that i might have deserted you <laughs> hardly my sweet did you have much trouble with your family
11: yes a little Dad was anxious, and, uh-huh. and you know what Mother is. She worries terribly. <laughs> yes.
9: You, you told them the story about meeting Tom in London.
11: Uh-huh. And they believed it.
9: Oh, good.
3: Oh, darling, it's wonderful to be with you. <laughs> uh,
9: come, Mary, I, I found lodgings in St. John's Street. Oh, good. But listen, since you've told your parents you were meeting Tom Reynolds in London, we well, might as well continue the deception, eh? How? Well, to the landlady, you'll be Mrs. Reynolds. And I, of course, shall be Mr. Reynolds. <laughs> it might be better if you called me Tom.
8: The landlady found Mr. and Mrs. Reynolds a charming couple, so devoted, so very much in love.
9: Good afternoon.
11: Good afternoon.
9: I'm Mr. Reynolds. I wrote to you about a room.
11: Yes, Mr. Reynolds. I was expecting you today, just like you said in the letter. Uh, and this is my wife, Mary. Uh, pleased to meet you, Mrs. Reynolds. I expect you'd like to see the room right away. Yes, I, I would. Well, if you'll just follow me. There's only one flight of stairs.
9: Let me carry the bag, dear. It's too heavy for you. All right.
11: All right. Have you uh, any idea how long you'll be staying, Mr. Reynolds?
9: Well, I can't tell you at the moment. It it depends on circumstances, doesn't it, sweetheart?
11: Ah. Yes, dear. Why, it's Mr. Reynolds. I didn't know it was so late. Well, my wife's
9: asleep, Mrs. Marsh. I thought I'd just pop in to tell you that we're leaving next week.
11: Leaving? Uh Uh-huh. Well, isn't that rather unexpected? I was talking to Mrs. Reynolds only yesterday, and she said... Yes,
9: but you see, I've had some news from friends of mine in Canada.
11: In Canada?
9: Yes. We're going to Canada, Mrs. Marsh. Oh. We're leaving from Liverpool next week.
11: Oh. That will be nice for you, Mr Reynolds, and for your sweet wife, too. Yes.
9: Oh, but there is one other thing. Huh? I'd be very glad if you wouldn't say anything of this to my wife. You see, she's not quite sure that she really wants to go to Canada, and, well, I think it'll only upset her if anyone talks to her about it. Oh,
11: of course. I I, I wouldn't breathe a word, particularly, since you've asked me not. (laughs) Thank you
9: so much, Mrs Marsh. We'll be giving up our room on Friday. Uh I'll arrange for a car to call for the luggage early in the day.
8: So considerate, the landlady thought, such a gentleman. On Friday morning, she said goodbye to the couple with reluctance. At least she said goodbye to Mr. Reynolds... who explained that his wife had gone ahead to the railway station. But even the nicest of lodgers are only a passing memory in a landlady's mind... And she might never have thought of the young couple again, if it hadn't been for the events that occurred some weeks afterwards. On the high road from Rugby to Northampton, two men were walking home after work.
10: Hey, well, Bert, uh, what do you think of today's chances on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> They'll want to be better than last week, eh, Sam? Yeah, I should say so. <laughs> hey, hey, look down there in ditch beside the road. What do you see? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, it looks like a canvas bag. Ah, well, there's something inside it. Ah, well, what's that all over it? An isn't it? Oh, probably a dead dog. Come on, I'll buy you a pint. hey, 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 ain't hey. hey, no dead dog. But, look, will you? An arm. I can see it playing. Who? Oh, crikey. Come on, Sam. Huh? This is for the police. Yeah.
8: The local police recovered the body and Scotland Yard was summoned. Inspector Courtney, accompanied by Detective Sergeant Finlay, arrived in Northampton. They met the doctor who had conducted the postmortem.
10: The body was
2: that of a woman,
8: Inspector.
10: Have you um, any idea of her age, Doctor? Youngish. I'd say in her twenties. In height, a little over five feet. Slight build. And in uh, what state was the body? Dismembered. And partially decomposed. And the uh, cause of death? Have you any idea about that? There's no way of telling, Inspector. The only thing you can take for granted is that she was murdered.
8: The odd men had a dual task there. They had to track down the murderer, but first and foremost, they had to find out who had been murdered. They set out to examine the evidence.
10: This canvas bag might give us a lead, sir. Uh, yes. Uh, Now, what's that writing on it, Sergeant? It's the name of a local merchant, J. Gregory, Northampton. Yes, the name's clear enough. Uh, Luckily, the lime didn't rot it away. As I'd say it was meant to, sir.
8: Yes, I'd say so too, Sergeant. I think we'll call on Mr. Gregory. Was this a lucky break early in a difficult case? It seemed not. For when the London detectives interviewed J. Gregory in his Northampton warehouse, the merchant could give them little help.
10: Yes, uh, it's my bag, all right, Inspector. No mistaking that, but how did it get in there? Well, we, uh, we thought you might be able to tell us that. Well, I assure you I can't. These canvas bags are used for transporting groceries between this warehouse and my several shops in the town. And they're, uh, what, uh, handled by your employees? Yes, Are they ever given out to the public? Oh, no, they're not. Were you aware that one was missing? Well, well, hardly, Inspector. I have upwards of a hundred of these bags and a lot more to do than count them. Yes, yes, of course, yes. But now, you understand the gravity of this situation? Yes. A woman has been found dead. Murdered. Murdered? Her body wrapped in one of your bags. Inspector, I I can only assure you I know nothing whatever about it. At this stage, Mr. Gregory, not knowing the identity of the murdered woman, the bag is our only clue. Now, you do appreciate that. Yes, yes, of course. Sir, that I'd like to talk to one of your employees who might have handled these bags and who might have been in the position to take one or even give one to somebody else. Inspector, I'll see to it my staff are available for you. Thanks. As a matter of fact, you can begin with my warehouse manager, my own brother. Oh, yes,
8: thank you, yes. Uh, Wait, I'll get him.
10: George? Huh? George, uh, come here, will you?
8: Presently, the obliging Mr. Gregory returned with his brother, the warehouse manager. He, too, was courteous and polite to the detectives, and only too ready to answer the questions they asked him.
10: Now, uh, uh, where do
9: you live, Mr. Gregory? In Birmingham, 7 High Street, Birmingham. And, uh, are you married? Yes. Wife and, and two children. And you live at home? Well, sometimes I stay here at the warehouse. You know, because of the distance involved in travel, you understand? Oh, yes,
10: perfectly, perfectly. Now, tell me, have you ever lent or given anyone outside the firm one of these canvas bags? Well, I don't like to mention it, but... Well, uh, go on, George.
9: Tell the inspector whatever he wants to know. Did you give away one of these bags? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I did, John. I I know it was against regulations, but... Well, a tramp came in one day asking for some scraps of food and... Yes, and... uh... I felt sorry for him, you know how it is. Yes, quite, quite. I gave him a couple of tins and a canvas bag to carry them in. (laughs) Sorry, John, but that was the only occasion I have given one away. Now, could you tell me how long ago would this have been? Oh, I suppose about six weeks, perhaps a bit longer... I'm afraid I can't remember the exact date.
10: Well, thanks very much, Mr. Gregory. I I don't suppose you can help us in this matter of the
9: murdered woman. I mean, you've no idea who it might be. None whatsoever,
8: Inspector. I'm sorry.
10: Well, thank you very much indeed, gentlemen. Good day to you. Good day. The inspector left
8: the warehouse deeply disappointed. It seems as if the trail led nowhere. For the inspector believed this story of the tramp that George Gregory had told him. There's no reason why he should not have believed it. (laughs) But today, evidence that proved the lie can be seen in the Black Museum. There are hundreds of women reported missing every year throughout England. Now to the local police stations throughout the land, the messages went out in a long and slow search to find the identity of the murdered woman.
2: Desire information on any woman reported missing within the past two months. Special attention to young woman about five feet in height of slight build. Well-dressed.
1: In answer to your inquiry, we've checked all missing persons approximating to the description given in the Glasgow area during the last two months. There are three missing persons whose descriptions might fit the one given and further investigations being made in each case. I shall report further within the next seven days.
11: Uh, Hello, sir. Uh, This is Scotland Yard. Uh, We've been looking into your inquiry, and we find that in the London area there are 27 cases of missing persons. Uh, That would seem to justify investigation in relation to your inquiry. Uh, From preliminary inquiries, 13 of these cases can already be discounted. On the remainder, further inquiries are still being made... Uh, We'll be in touch with you later, sir. Goodbye.
8: The reports came flooding into Scotland Yard. The leads faithfully followed. Dead ends, all of them. The investigation into murder was bogged down because nobody knew who had been murdered.
10: Here's another one, Inspector. People by the name of Wilson in Birmingham worried about their daughter. Oh, I never knew there were so many youngsters who run away from home. Well, still have it checked, Sergeant. Right,
8: another patient inquiry begins when did your daughter leave home where was she going have you heard from her the questions were asked the answers were written down and the result was sent to scotland yard
10: Hmm. Hmm. wilson yes Uh, number nine high street birmingham left for London to marry a young man named uh, Tom Reynolds. Seems like she didn't get there, sir. Yeah? The family had a letter from Reynolds, just a sort of friendly note, no mention of the girl. I understand young Reynolds went to Canada, sir. He was once engaged to the girl, but they broke it off. Oh, yes? The next thing, when he was in London, the girl had a letter from him asking her to marry him and go out to Canada. Yes, but d- did the family see the letter? No. It was all pretty hurried. They were upset, but she seemed to be able to get her own way. Oh, I've heard this kind of thing before. Now, I wonder who the man was. Not Tom Reynolds, that's certain. His letter to the family is enclosed there, sir. Oh, let's see it. Re- yes, wait a Now, Ralph Crossing, how is everyone? Miss Mill, neighbors. No, 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 he doesn't mention her. Now, what was her name? Mary, sir. Mary Wilson, Mm -hmm. 9 High Street, Birmingham. Sergeant. Sergeant, that seems familiar. To me too, sir. I can't quite place it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, I've got it. What, Inspector? Uh, George Gregory, that warehouse manager. His address is 7 High Street, Birmingham. Number 7? Well, that means he lives
2: next door.
8: Patience had paid off again careful and painstaking methods had given them a new lead or rather the renewal of an old lead for the canvas bag had first led them to the gregory warehouse the detectives went back to northampton back to interview george gregory mary wilson inspector
9: well of course i knew mary wilson now uh, tell me when did you last see her mr gregory oh some time ago she went to Canada, you know. She, she married a young chap named Reynolds. Yes, but... Uh, did she marry him? Well, to the best of my knowledge, she did. You said, I knew Mary Wilson. Why mm-hmm. the past tense? I don't know. Well, don't you always use the past tense when you're not likely to see a person again? Oh, you don't think you'll see her again? Well, Inspector,
8: with her married and living in Canada, that'd hardly be likely, Inspector... George Gregory seemed at ease. His answers rang true. It could be nothing but a strange coincidence. Inspector Courtney gave certain instructions.
10: I want a cable sent to Tom Reynolds in Canada. Find out if he married Mary Wilson or not.
8: The odds are he's still single. Then Courtney went to Birmingham, to Number 9 High Street, where he talked to Mary's mother.
10: I uh, I don't want to alarm you, Mrs Wilson, but I'm from Scotland Yard and I want to make certain inquiries.
11: Scotland Yard? Oh, my Mary's done nothing wrong, has she? Of course
10: not, no, no. Now, tell me, Mrs Wilson... Do you really think your daughter might have gone to Canada with her young
11: man? Oh, I don't know what to think, sir. I was always puzzled. I mean, I mean look, the way she seemed to patch things up with Tom.
10: Yes. Uh, uh, did you question that?
11: No, I didn't say much. I was glad, really.
10: About her marrying the young man?
11: Yes, well, you see, for a while I was worried. There was another man she seemed to like. But too much, if you know what I mean.
10: Oh, you, uh, disapproved?
11: Oh, Mary was never one to take criticism, but I didn't like it, I can tell you. Was the, uh,
10: other man older?
11: He was, old enough to know better. Him with a wife and two children of his own. I tell you, I was relieved when I thought Mary was going away to marry Tom Reynolds.
10: Now, there's one more question I must ask you, ma'am.
11: Yes, Inspector?
10: The name of this attentive gentleman.
11: Well, I... I don't like to make anything of it, mind
10: No, but uh, I'd uh, like to know his name.
11: Well, he happens to live next door, and his name is George Gregory.
10: We've had a reply to your Canada cable, sir. Okay, Sergeant, go ahead and read it. Tom Reynolds is living in Ottawa. He's a bachelor. Last time he saw Mary Wilson was in Birmingham, three months ago. What about his letter from London?
8: There was no letter from London. It was beginning to add up. Point by point, link by link, a chain of circumstantial evidence was being forged. Forged by the patient police. I think he's our man, Sergeant. And imagine it, sir. He's been here under our noses since the
10: very first clue you picked up. Yes, the canvas bag. Let us write to him. But we haven't tied it up yet. What's the next move, sir? Mary Wilson left for London to meet Reynolds. Or so it seems she told her parents. Yes, it seems more than likely, sir, that they came here. So they must have lived somewhere, she and the man she met.
8: Now the detectives went through the town front streets and back streets, fashionable hotels and cheap boarding houses. They went wherever there was a sign, rooms to let.
10: Well. We're from Scotland Yard, ma'am. We're inquiring about a young couple who might have stayed here some, oh, six weeks to two months ago.
11: No, not here. I only tech regulars. I'd my boarders for the past twelve months.
8: Thank you, ma'am. Sorry to have troubled you. They ran the whole gamut of landladies. The suspicious landladies, the mean, the garrulous landladies, the kind, the generous, the curious. Then in a lodging house in St. John Street, their work paid off.
11: A young couple? Yes, I've had a few. What was their name?
10: We're not sure what name they might have been using.
11: Oh, you mean Crookes. (gasps) Well, let me see. Oh, it it couldn't have been that nice young couple, Mr. and Mrs. Reynolds. Now, What was that name? Reynolds. Uh, Tom Reynolds? Yes, I believe it was. Such a nice man. Oh, and his young wife was named Mary. She was awfully sweet.
10: Mrs. Marsh... can you give me a description
11: of Mary Reynolds? Why, yes, I think so. Short, uh, about five feet tall, brown mm-hmm. hair, rather pretty. Yes? Not much help, I'm afraid. I can't remember any other details. Oh,
10: you helped a lot, thanks, the... Man?
11: Tall, dark hair, and a small mole on his left cheek, older than her. Uh-huh. Oh, but he was very nice indeed. Oh, surely they couldn't have done anything wrong. Uh, uh,
10: Mrs. Marsh, uh, can you, I uh, want to, attend the police station tomorrow morning at 10? Me? Why, sir? Uh, well, we'll be having an identification parade at 10 sharp. <laughs> Quiet, everyone. Uh, I've got together a group of eight people, Inspector. Oh, uh, you, Sergeant. Uh, Mrs. Marsh, I want you to try and identify the man you knew as Tom Reynolds.
11: All right, Inspector, but really, I know we and his wife went to Canada.
10: Nevertheless, if you don't mind, just walk slowly down the line
8: and examine each man. Eight men. A couple of detectives, two men taken out of the cells, one recruited off the street, and in the middle of them, a protesting, indignant George Gregory.
11: It's not this man. Nor this. No, not him either. Why, Mr. Reynolds! Gregory! Grab him, man! Oh, I got, I got him! Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah.
8: policeman present to overpower the hastily departing Mr. Gregory, who was immediately arrested on a charge of having murdered Mary Wilson. Today, the evidence that brought about his downfall, the canvas bag that first directed police attention to him, occupies a place of honor in the Black Museum. George Gregory killed the woman, he said, because she was too much in love with him to let him go, but he couldn't afford the scandal that might arise if he continued his association with her. Not a very nice reason, but then the reason for murder seldom are. Anyway, George Gregory was tried and convicted, and paid for his crime one morning at eight o'clock. And now, until we meet next time in this same place for another story about the Black Museum, I remain as always obediently yours.